Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's made you very very quiet now, which I guess is a result of me having tried that. Hang on a second. Um can you hear me? barely can i hang up and call you back i'll just wait here you hang up and come back in okay sorry about this no problem no rush i'm not going anywhere okay it's the keith walsh podcast it's essential like your breakfast it will get you up and going there's the things you didn't know yeah it's the keith walsh podcast it's the keith walsh podcast Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Good evening and welcome to the Keith Walsh Podcast. It is um, Monday evening. It's nearly half past ten. I'm a little bit late getting to this. Um, and I want to say that that's because I'm very busy. And it is because I'm very busy. I am... Um, I've been. I've had a very busy day. I, uh, can't even. I can't even talk. <laughs> I feel like what I'm even saying. What I'm even talking about. Just presenting myself in front of the microphone to introduce my my Monday night <clears throat> interview chat podcast, and I can't even talk. Don't even know what to say for myself. I'm. Um, I kind of have my own thing going where I. I create and draw greeting cards, and it's been very busy, uh, which is good. So that's keeping me keep me very busy. But it's it's constant, and also the homeschooling thing is uh, that's that's full on. Today was the first day I did the homeschooling thing, and I think, although my son will tell you different. No, my daughter's fine. She's leaving. Certain. She's focused. She's she's um. She's in her room. She's doing her Zoom classes. She's sorted. Myself and my son work down on the kitchen table together, so I'm sort of drawing. <laughs> That's my job now, Dr- doodling. And uh, and then I kind of stop to help him with his, his schoolwork. Or I, I'll say, you know, ask me for help if you need it. So today I just stopped working altogether and just sat with him, and we just went through it together. And it seemed to work a lot better. I, I, I managed to keep my emotions in check. I managed not to get, you know, frustrated, annoyed, etc. Because, first of all, what's the point? But also, um, you know, he's 12. And uh, I'm a lot older, older than him. A lot older. Um, so, my expectations need to be less and I need to be more understanding. I think, th- think today was the first day that it actually... Yeah, we didn't fall out. There was no row. We hugged at the end of it, went our separate ways. Um, 
So yeah, I'll take it as a victory. But at the end of the day now, at this time of the evening, I'm wrecked. Between, between the hopping and the trotting. But I'm also hooked on a show that I've been watching on Apple TV called The Morning Show. Uh, any of you that know me from my previous job, where I was a presenter on Breakfast Radio on 2FM for five years, and previously on iRadio Spain, I always kind of tended to do Breakfast Radio. And uh, The Morning Show is just incredibly interesting to me. It's an insightful view into an industry that is not without its problems. And I'm not saying the morning show is, you know, like anything that I've worked on, because when you're on a morning television show in America, <clears throat> you're talking about, you know, at one point the guy reveals that he's been paid 20 million a year. You know, I was only getting paid half that. Um, But it is such an interesting show. It's Jennifer Aniston. It's Steve Carell, who I think now I've decided is my favorite actor. Um, And... It's just, they're just brilliant. The cast is excellent. A lot of, a few you'd recognise, but a lot of new faces. Excuse me, this is very rude, but I'm just being honest here. <laughs> I'm being vulnerable and I'm being honest. Um, but uh, yeah, a few faces in the cast you'd recognise. Um, obviously, the two big ones, Jennifer A and Steve Carell recognize uh, it's brilliant it's a brilliant show I just can't stop watching it so I'm trying to work trying to do school work and I'm trying to you see the thing about drawing the cards and I can kind of watch something or half watch it or listen to it as I work so it kind of works in my favour that's what I'd be telling myself anyway to make myself feel better but um, so that's my day uh, check that out the morning show if you're looking for something to watch and uh, as always you can email the show you know, if there's a box set you're enjoying and you want to send in, you know, send in um, the name of it, Keith, use your words, or you want to send in, um, you know, your top five box sets of all time, and I could read them out. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be lovely. It'd be so nice. The email is keithwatchpod at gmail.com. Keithwatchpod at gmail.com. Come on, Keith. Lively up yourself. Lively up yourself. Okay. My guest is Rachel Ryan, the wonderful, the brilliant, the amazing. I love talking to Rachel Ryan. Uh, I'd never met her before, didn't really know much about her. She is a new author. And when I say new author, she's just had her first book published. She's been writing a long time. Uh, The book is called The Hidden Lies. Sorry, the book is called Hidden Lies. And uh, her name is, as I said, Rachel Ryan. Uh, There was a piece last week in The Independent about Rachel. Uh, Tanya Sweeney wrote it. The literary slush... I'll just read a little bit from it. The literary slush pile, the manuscripts that writers send cold to agents and publishers can yield treasure. Philip Roth, Stephanie Meyer and Judith Guest were all found there by executives knowing that an unsolicited manuscript could well contain the next writing sensation. Dublin-born author Rachel Ryan is the latest author to be pulled from relative obscurity and touted as a writer to keep an eye on in 2021 after signing with super agent Marion Gunn O'Connor, who also represents Shane Hegarty, Cecilia O'Hearn and Pat McCabe. Ryan soon signed a deal with Simon & Schuster in Canada for her striking debut Hidden Lies called The Woman Outside My Door in North America. 
and uh, yeah that's kind of a uh, as much as you need to know. Hidden Lies is an atmospheric and muscular thrill of a read with a strong sense of place and an easily confident style. It tells the story of Georgina, a woman grieving the death of her mother, Rose. Her young son, Cody, throws something of a cat amongst the pigeons. He has met his new granny in the play park. As he begins chatting about this mysterious figure, Georgina is forced to investigate the secrets in her own family and, by extension, the entire country. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's really good. Check it out. Uh, go buy it uh, on your Kindle or in hard copy. You can order it, I'd say, from all good bookstores. Hidden Lies is what it's called. Rachel Ryan's the author, and I love talking to her. And this is my chat. It is episode 57 of the Keith Walsh podcast. It's me chatting to Rachel Ryan. Enjoy. We'll just get going then. Rachel, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, I was, wasn't doing anything else because uh, at the moment of recording this, we've just gone into serious level five lockdown. How are you coping? I have I find now that I have like a going into lockdown routine. <laughs> First of all, I freak out and I have to take at least like 24 hours to just accept the news. And then after that, I seem to be OK. But I have to like take to my bed for like a whole day. And just like watch TV and let it like wash over me, and then I do be okay. I think that's a good strategy. I think that's kind of what we all should be doing, rather than fighting against the inevitable. Something we can't we can't control this. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand the things we can't control. Take to the bed for a day, let it happen, and then just get on with whatever we can get on with. I think that's a very good strategy you've got there. I think it's important to let yourself grieve the the loss of whatever you had planned or hoped for that was coming like I think that maybe the first time it happened I, I tried to fight that I was like okay I'm gonna like learn to do this and learn to do that I'm gonna do all these exercise programs and I'm gonna work really hard and now I'm like I will try and do some of those things but first of all I'm just gonna let myself be sad because this sucks and you know you have to let those feelings go through you I think before you can move into the productive or whatever stage you're hoping to go for. I definitely think the admitting that the situation sucks is really helpful. I, I, I said it to somebody I don't, at the, at the first lockdown. I said something like, ah, look, you know, the typical Irish response. I was like, look, it's grand. And they said to me, no, it's not grand. It's shit. But, you know, we'll, de- we'll deal with it. And I was like, no, that's, you know, I, I, I learned from that person. I was like, no, you're right. It is shit. You're better off just going, this sucks. It's shit. Have a bit of a tantrum throw your toys out of the pram, have a cry, go to bed for the day, and then you're then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. I think I learned that in like my early 20s when I would get, if I would go for a job and I would not get the job, like I learned to deal with that in the same way that I dealt with like, I was like, think of it like heartbreak. You know, like if things didn't work out with someone you really liked, you let yourself be sad for a little while before you do the next thing. And I remember like not getting a job when I was like 23, which looking back, like meant nothing to me. But at the time I had my heart set on this job and I was like, afterwards, I was like, I'm going to let myself be sad for, you know, a whole weekend. I'm just going to wallow before I pick myself up and keep going. So sometimes a bit of wallowing, I think, can be good for the soul. It took me about till my mid 40s to realize that I was better off telling people that what had just happened was shit rather than pretending everything was okay. So 
kudos to you. <laughs> I have the added difficulty of being a man and being an Irish man, so it took me a lot longer to figure that out. <laughs> uh, you're just about to, and it's out. So, so by the time this podcast goes out, the book is out. This is exciting. It's out. It's this is your first novel. Yeah, it's my debut novel. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, and we'll get to that. Um. But you, you talked a little bit about your 20s and going for a job and that kind of stuff. Give me a little bit about of your background. So what were you doing in your 20s? What kind of job were you going for? Yeah, so I'm 29 now and my debut novel, like you said, by the time this podcast is out, it will be on the shelves, metaphorically speaking, because the bookshops are closed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, a kind of meandering path through my 20s. I worked a lot of different jobs. I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, but that's just not one of those things you can make happen fast. You, you really have to go the long way around. So I did all sorts. I, um, I went to college and I studied English and sociology. So I did some creative writing modules in college. That was amazing. And then afterwards, I kind of hopped between different jobs. I did some time in retail. I did some time in childminding. Um, I did years in childminding actually or nannying as we're kind of taking on that language now yeah working as a nanny looking after people's kids which was actually fantastic because the job I was just talking about that I was really disappointed I didn't get where I had to like wallow for a weekend that was in PR and at the time I was devastated because I thought it would be so glamorous to have a job in PR and now I'm so grateful that I didn't get it you know, and you look back and you realize not getting what you thought you wanted was actually such a gift because if I'd had a job in PR, I would have gone into work every day and sat down at a computer for eight hours. And then it would have been really hard for me, I think, because it was copywriting. It was a copywriting job. So it was a desk job. And then I think it would have been very hard for me to go home in the evenings and sit down at my laptop and do three, four or five hours writing, which is what I used to do. Um. And I think that it was a real blessing in disguise because the fact that I ended up doing child mining for so many years really helped me to go home every evening. Cause you know, you're on your feet, you're running after kids. It's a very physical job. It's a very tiring job. I'd be out in the park a lot during the day with the kids. And then it just made it a lot easier to sit down at my laptop in the evenings and write. So it turned out to be the perfect job for my twenties. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously you, you had the writing skill and to to look for a job where you're doing that eight hours a day uh, <laughs> it can really kill your your spirit you know um mm-hmm. so I, th- I, th- I think you're right on that um and pr is such a shit job <laughs> <laughs> it no, seemed just... glamorous and exciting to me at 23 i think at the time i was in retail so it seemed like this really like exciting move up in the world. And I was devastated that I didn't get it. But all those rejections and all those things that didn't work out and all those dead ends and all those detours. I think when you have that bit of perspective, you realize it's all just part of the journey. And I wish I could go back and say to myself, like, take it easy. Like it will all add up to something. You're going to get somewhere interesting eventually if you just keep going and keep trying. And so if you could talk to your 23 year old self now, that's that's what you'd say, I presume. Just just. Yeah, just go easy on yourself. It's going to work out because I think that when you're in the middle of 
the the struggle or the journey or the difficult part and I've actually I felt this a good bit this year like when you're in the middle of that bit where you have no perspective you're just kind of clawing along I think your only job is to keep going like now if I find myself in that situation where I'm like I don't really understand why I'm here or why this is happening or I'm in a part of my journey or life that feels very very difficult um, and I know everyone knows that feeling where you just cannot see the forest through the trees and you're like how did I get here why am I here how do I get out of it I say to myself there's a future version of me who's going to have perspective and she's going to look back and make sense of the journey it's I don't need to have perspective right now my job is to keep going so that was a good life lesson what were the what were the glimmers of hope what were the little um little sparks of um of hope i suppose is the best word to use that you saw along the way i mean because if you were writing at 23 24 25 what made you keep going what was the what were your incentives along the way yeah it's true you know writing at 19 20 21 22 23 24 25 26 and not getting anywhere it does feel kind of grueling and i think that you know there were times when I would be like, is it ever going to work out? Am I ever going to get published? Um, and I guess that you have to come up with your own definition of success. And I think a lot of people in creative fields talk about this. So like at the moment, currently I'm, you know, successful by, you know, external um, metrics. Like I, my novel is published and, that's very nice and I'm extremely grateful and I've just had some lovely reviews and like the Irish Times and the Irish Independent and that's an amazing feeling and so grateful so happy for where I am but you know when I was a bit younger I kind of figured out that that couldn't be what it all hinged on like I had to think to myself if those things happen that's really nice and I'm going to keep working for those things and I'm going to keep striving but I had to find happiness in my ordinary you know unpublished life and I had to find meaning in the work itself so for me if I finished a story and I was happy with the story I had to be able to be happy with that whether or not it got published I had to take pride and find value in the work itself and um, it's a cliche you know process over prize but it's really true I think if you want to be in any creative field you can't count on external validation or you're going to give up because you don't get that external validation for a really, really long time. And when it does come, it doesn't come consistently. So, yeah, you need to be able to find it. I know it sounds so cheesy, but you do need to be able to find it in yourself and in the work. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, saying it sounds cheesy and saying the, using the word, you know, saying it's a cliche. Things are cliches mm -hmm. because they're true. The problem with cliches, <laughs> the problem with cliches is people don't believe them because they mm -hmm. hear time but generally it's true and everything you said is absolutely true I'd love to know where you where your philosophy where your outlook came from Do, you know what was your where did you come from um you know because <laughs> you know it, it's taken me until my 40s to kind of figure out you know what success is and you know what it means and it's not what I thought it was and you know it's 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 been a it's been a long journey for me to, 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 mm -hmm. to figure that out. You know, you're you're still quite young to know these things and um, to know that um, that you are yourself sufficient in a way. 
mm-hmm. you know you're not I spent a lot of my life looking to see how this job I was working on was doing what does this person that gave me a job think of me you know and it took me a long time to figure out that none of those things mattered where mm-hmm. did you get your was, I mean is your parents did you go to therapy when you were young were you, <laughs> were you <laughs> um I think I figured it out because I didn't get what I wanted young like I often look back and think maybe if I'd been like one of those wonderkin kids who's like published at like 23 I would have put my self-worth into that achievement but because that didn't happen for me because I'm only getting published now in my late 20s I kind of had to figure it out I had to because otherwise I just would have been miserable um so you know I was writing at night writing stories and eventually writing the manuscript that became Hidden Lies and I had different day jobs and I did a bit of traveling and I did all the normal stuff you do in your 20s and um and I went through that like insecure period of, of hating when people would say, so what do you do? I used to hate that question because I, I would, I, you know, the way Americans are really good at saying, well, I'm an, I'm an actor, even if they've never been in anything. I kind of think they have the right idea. It took me a really long time to get there because we're Irish and we don't do that. But, you know, I would say like I'm a childminder, which was true. And I loved childminding. I loved looking after kids there were many things about it that I found fulfilling and I found it a good day job but ultimately I felt like I'm a writer because that's what I spend the majority of my time doing and that's what I really want to do so I felt like there was this sort of um I felt like there was a mismatch between what I was saying and what I was really doing and I I started to just really wish I could have a book published just so that I could own the work that I was doing with my time so all of that did make me feel quite insecure and I had to go on that journey and figure it out. So, I, you know, I was trying and trying and I wasn't getting anywhere and I was trying and I was trying and I felt like I was back at square one. And it was just, it was a very interesting journey because I had to learn about discipline and I had to learn about finishing things and I had to learn about working for myself and I had to learn about the focus being on my work instead of external validation. And because I kept you know, failing to get published and because I kept having to work day jobs to pay my bills and because I kept having like, a like, because I wasn't getting the level of success I would have liked, I had to say to myself, well, I need to figure out a way to find happiness in the life that I have because my life is already happening. Like it's not going to start when I achieve X or when I achieve Y. My life is happening now. And if all I'm doing is worrying about an achievement in the future, I'm going to miss my own life because it's happening. And when I realized that I was able to get to this place where I found my happiness from inside myself, where I was self-sufficient, as you called it. Um, were you reading, were you reading, were you reading the Stoics? Uh, what, what philosophers were you reading? I just, were you, t- were you taking cold baths every morning? Uh, self-flagellation? How did you, uh, I'm just... I'm reading a bit, a bit of the you know, stuff from the Stoics at the moment, and uh, you know people have this perception that they that they you know they 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 look for the harsh life or whatever, but it's more it's just an attitude towards life, which, mm-hmm. is, which is something you seem to have. Like, what were you? Where were you? Was this just coming from your? These were just things you were deciding yourself. You know, were you, were you magpie picking up bits and pieces as you went along, reading this, reading that book, 
watch you know you know or was it just as i said was it just all come from within um one of the big ways that i think i figured out my life philosophy or how i wanted to move through life was um i do this thing every new year's and i also do it on my birthday where i will like sit down for an evening on my own and i'll like burn some candles and like make a big cup of ginger big pot of ginger tea or like make my like flat a real cozy space and then I'll fill out I'll answer a load of questions like I'll fill out a questionnaire about the previous year and I'll ask myself like what am I happy with in the last year and what am I not happy with and it's not just professional it's personal and you know when was I happiest that's a really good question to ask yourself like if you look back at the past year of your life and you say to yourself like when was I happiest then you can really figure out the things that are fulfilling you. And then, you know, moving into next year, you can try and do more of those things. So I think that that process of pausing at least twice a year and really looking back at the past year and asking myself what I want to do more of, what I want to do less of, what's fulfilling me, what isn't, and then being deliberate in the next year about those things. I think that's really, really helped me. And I think a lot of the insights that I have into my own well-being came from that ritual so I really recommend it um I recommend to everyone if they want to kind of do a reflection thing at least once a year it's very beneficial yeah it sounds yes yeah, I mean it sounds like it sounds like the, the complete opposite to what Irish people used to do which was rage against life not working for them but not actually do anything about trying to do the things they want to do you know just 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 be angry at things uh what did I see today somebody said um there's no point in uh, what's it? There's no point in praying for a train to come along while you're waiting at the airport, <laughs> which I thought was very good. And 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 I often said to people, well, you you know you 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 all you need to be praying to catch the bus, but you you need to be running for the bus at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be in bed praying for the for to catch the bus. You know, exactly. So 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 you so you really. I mean, you did you did a few things. You worked hard. Yes. You worked hard to pay your rent. You worked hard mm-hmm. to write the amount you needed to write to 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 mm-hmm. become disciplined in your writing, to get your writing hours under your belt, as it were. Mm-hmm. And you worked hard on yourself and to be self sufficient. You know, it's a three pronged thing, a very very healthy uh, approach to life and and doing the things you want to do i mean it's fascinating i'm fascinated by it did you what what suffered i mean did your social life suffer did your personal life suffer do you do your friends give out that you don't see them enough you know or or do you have that sort of a place for that as well that's such a good question because i think something always suffers you know um like no matter what, no matter how hard you're striving for balance in your life, can I, some things they not get done. Go can on. I, can I rephrase that as what did you sacrifice? Because you're going to have I, to sacrifice something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe sac- that's a better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll answer that one. I think that's a slightly more positive way of saying it. But, you know, both are true. Um, something always gets sacrificed. I definitely sacrificed a lot of nights out. Um, and there were times in my life when I do feel like I let my personal life suffer or I sacrificed too much of my personal life in order to be focused on my work goals. So 
because I really believe that in order to become really, really good at something, you need to put in an enormous amount of time. And um, like the amount of my life that I've spent writing just at my laptop, working on stories is huge. And yeah, I did say no to a lot of invitations. And I definitely think that I missed out on some things. And a lot of it, I think, was necessary and healthy because a level of sacrifice is healthy. But there have been times in my life when I feel I've been I've slipped into workaholicism. Um, and actually, one of the big things for me with, you know, doing my reviews at like my birthday or New Year's and like looking back at my life, there have been times I've looked back and said, you know, you're working too hard and you're not working smart. Like you could work less hours and be pretty much as productive and you could spend more time with your friends and family. So I feel like a big struggle in my life is balance. And I think balance will always be a big struggle for me. And at the moment, currently I'm a full-time author. I write all the time. So I'm trying very hard to achieve that balance. Like I'm trying to take weekends off, for example. And I, it's, it's quite hard for me because I'm so used to working weekends because I did it for such a long time. I would like child mind during the week. So I had to work on the weekends to write. So now I'm more saying to myself, no, like you are not working this weekend. You are actually going to put your laptop aside and just relax and just hang out with the people you love or at the moment go for socially distance walks with the people you love. And yeah, I do think that that's a struggle. Um, balance. Sometimes I like write it on a little post-it and stick it up on the cork board over my desk, like just the word balance, because it's something I want to achieve. Yeah, but I just I think the fact that you're thinking, thinking about it at all uh, means that you're kind of halfway down the path of achieving. it. I think so. So the book, congratulations, first of all. Um, Thank you. Sam. I mean, to, to, to have your to have your work published, I have it here in my in my hand. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful cover. I love the cover. Um, and yeah, you've done it. Before we get into um, get into more on the book, the, you see, the thing you've done, and I think there's a great lesson in this as well, is because you've because you reframed what success was, now you're getting to sometimes when people get to a moment where the book's out, they've done the work, they've finally gotten there, the film is made, the the whatever it is the thesis is done i've gotten the points in my leave insert i've gotten the course i need this is the be all and end all i'm here i've arrived now mm -hmm. life life be brilliant um mm -hmm. because it doesn't work like that yeah uh, and i and it's great to see you being so uh pragmatic about it and I, this is a you know, it's almost like I'm talking in a way that we're taking the joy out of this, but it, it's lovely because you can enjoy this for what it is, mm -hmm. which is a brilliant achievement. Uh, but but sometimes what happens is when it finally happens, people can end up feeling quite sad about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it can, it can it, it works in reverse because it's not you're like, where's that feeling I'm supposed to get from when I get to this point that I sacrificed everything for to get to? give it to me now, hook it to my veins and it's not mm -hmm. there. And that's where the disappointment. Mm -hmm. So how, so how are you feeling now that it's, that it's out? I mean, I've just put loads of words in your mouth. So. No, I actually, I agree with everything you just said. I think it's so accurate. And um, it's another reason that I'm so glad that this didn't happen for me a few years earlier in my life, because I think if it had, I would have had that feeling of this is going to fix everything. Like now my life is going to be perfect. Um, and 
it's just one facet of my life. It's just this thing that I've done. And I'm so proud of it. And I worked so hard on it. And I'm so grateful that it's out there in the world, reaching people. And when readers get in touch with me and tell me that they liked it, I'm over the moon. Like it's the most lovely feeling. But hang on a second. You're Grant. You're Grant. I'm just on an. Finn? He's gone. That's my son. <laughs> We, we all work together these days. He's, he works in the office. <laughs> um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's perfect. Don't cut it out. That's just <laughs> part of life at the moment. Um, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. I'm just on... And yeah, but just don't come in here if you're in your boxers. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so you, so you were saying that, uh, yes, yeah, so you, you get to the point the book says you're happy when people say they it's like amazing. it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm so happy and I'm so grateful. And it's so exciting because it's opened so many doors for me. Like there's a lot of things I'd like to do in the future. Like I'm working on another book at the moment. Um, one day I'd like to teach writing classes. Like it's incredible. But it's not. It, my self-worth isn't linked to any one achievement. And that's the thing that I'm really glad I figured out before, not after my book was published. Yeah, it's a very healthy place to be. The book uh, you mentioned, ch- childminding, and I mean the start of the book. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, you know it's, you're in a park and there's an incident with mm-hmm. uh, with one of the children. Is that was that? I mean, I mean it could have been uh, inspired by your own childhood, or was that kind mm-hmm. of you know where your thinking was when putting the book together? I mean, we should tell people a little bit about the book before you answer that, I suppose, because. Um, mm-hmm. How would you describe it? I was trying to, f- it's not, is it a horror? Is it a suspense? Where would you put it? Psychological thriller. That's what I would call it. Yeah. Um, I understand it's quite horror inspired. Like there's creepy scenes and there's the landscape, even though it's like set in Dublin and it's modern, the landscape is quite Gothic, but um, it's a psychological thriller because nothing supernatural happens in it. Like everything that happens in it is human. Therefore, even though it has that spooky, ghostly feel to it, it's firmly in the psychological thriller genre, which is a thriller, which is a genre that I absolutely love and I'm very excited to work in. Um, Georgina's mother, Rose, was the glue that held the McGrath family together. Her recent death has left a huge hole in their hearts. And with Georgina struggling to hold the pieces of their family together, then one day Georgina's young son, Cody, mentions a mysterious new friend from the play park, a woman he calls his new granny. I mean, even that is like, oh my God. Yeah, so for for people who are listening who haven't heard of the book, the premise is that there's a little boy called Cody and he's seven years old. And he tells his mother one day that he has a new grandmother now. Um, And she's quite upset because his grandmother, who's her mother, has recently passed away. But she thinks it's a game that he's playing and like a a way of coping with grief. But as the book progresses, strange things start happening and his parents begin to wonder if his imaginary friend might not be so imaginary after all. So it's a story that blurs the lines between reality and imagination and mental health is a theme. And yeah, that's it. It's interesting because I was reading it and I am um, unfortunately I've fallen down the TikTok hole a little bit. I don't know if you're a fan. 
I'm, I know I'm too old to be looking at TikTok, but um, <laughs> but but I come across these TikToks and it's like uh, these these mothers and they're, they're, they've recorded their son and their son is like, there's, there's one particular TikTok and the son is like brushing his teeth, getting ready for bed. And the mother's like, so how, how was your day? So yeah, I had a good day. I, you know, I hung out with granny, you know, and you know, the, the typing on the thing is like, granny's dead, for, has been dead. I don't know what he's talking about, you know, or, or you know, these kids coming back going, um, yeah, uh, when I was, um, before I used to be a doctor, you know, it's like three-year-old saying, look, before I used to be a doctor <laughs> and there was a lady who was really sick and I helped her and the mother's going, what the hell is this child talking about? Like a previous life. Mm-hmm. My own daughter said to me, used to say to me quite frequently when she was young, I used to be your granny, dad. Oh my God. <laughs> so this, I mean, this kind of struck a chord with me a little bit. Right. Kids say the creepiest things. Um, and I think that, I'm often drawn to, I'm a big fan of horror as well as being a big fan of psychological suspense. And I think that there's just something creepy about kids with imaginary friends or kids saying these unnerving, unsettling things. Um, it's really, it was a lot of the time, a lot of the time the book was sad and difficult to write. Like there are some sad moments in the book, but a lot of it was really fun because that thing of like using kids saying creepy things as a plot device is just very effective and I really enjoyed doing those parts of it because as I said I was working as a childminder when I wrote the book and you know kids have these rich imaginary worlds that are so real to them that like exist alongside the adult world so it was really fun to blur the lines between their imaginary universe and the universe that the adults were inhabiting. And also of course the universe that the adults are inhabiting uh there's the, the the mental health side of things where I, I about two years ago, I started going to see ther- a therapist and I kind of made a lot of changes in my life. So people close to me would have noticed me behaving a little bit differently, you know, and you, mm-hmm. there are times where, and I, and I, and I wrote a one man show about it. And there's a bit that I deal with where you're not quite sure if you're going mad because other people think you're going a bit mad and because there's a little shift, I mean, obviously this, woman's mother has died mm-hmm. there's a shift in things she's as a, there are times in life when you're not quite sure that you're not going mad so things can mm-hmm. can seem believable whereas other places they mightn't or you can you can see things that other people mightn't do you, do you know mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say so so, mm-hmm. so having that mental health aspect of things allows you to play around with what's real and what's not mm-hmm. uh, because what's real to one person is definitely not real to another person because they're either not in the same space or not headspace or or not willing to see what the other person sees. Do you know what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Just... Yeah, I think that that's the reason that, you know, we see a lot of the same themes and psychological suspense a lot of the time and mental health is a really common one. Um, and I feel like in Hidden Lies, what I've done with the material and what I've done with those tropes is very fresh and original and unique. So like one of the things I do want to say to any readers of psychological thrillers who are considering picking the book up is like, rest assured, it's not one of those stories you've read before. You know, you haven't read the story before. It is different. It is fresh. You're never going to see the twist coming. But a lot of the elements of the story, like mental health and motherhood, are really common themes in this genre. And I do think you're right. One of the reasons mental health comes up again and again is because that 
you know, that push and pull of what's real and what isn't is, is relatable to a lot of people at different times in their life, as well as being a very effective plot device. Mm. Did you, was this a, was this a story you were working on that you expanded on? Was it, did you see an ending? Did you see the, the, the twist first? Did you uh, surprise yourself with the twist? Like how did the writing actually, the actual writing of the story come about? That's a great question. I always know what the end of a story is going to be when I write it, because I don't think I could do it otherwise. I know that some authors do do it that way. Like they write the story and then they decide at the end what's going to happen, which blows my mind because it's the complete opposite of how I work. So like as I'm writing a story, I always know what's happening off screen and I always know why the mysterious things are happening. And in the middle, things can happen that surprise me. Like I'm not very rigid. There's a flexibility, but I always know where the story is going. So when I wrote the first chapter of Hidden Lies, which is they're in the park and the little boy comes out of the bushes and he has a lollipop and he tells his mom that an old lady gave him the lollipop and that's what sparks it. When I wrote that chapter, I knew what the last final chapter of the book was going to be. And um, so I always have this very clear vision and yet there's room for flexibility within that. So I'm not limiting myself. So how do you manage the... Uh... Yeah. Okay. How do you manage the getting to the end bit? The you know the the, the fleshing out of the story, the, the the getting to know them. You know how much do we need to know this character? How much do we need to know mm -hmm. this character? But a little bit about their past. A little you know, throwing a little bit about this guy. You know, some weird encounter with something. You know how much of that do you decide as you go along? Well, that, that we've enough of that guy now. We know enough about him. <laughs> he's he's good to go. You know, I'm just fast <laughs> just fascinated by by the mechanics of it. That's the hard part. And that's where I think that you need editorial guidance because, so I often say, I feel like my editor's names should be on the novel too, um, because your editors do such an incredible job. So like as a novelist, like you come up with this story and you get it all down on the page and then your editors come in and they help you turn this big sprawling story into a page turner of a book. And they help you cut away the bits that are slowing the story down or the bits that you don't need. I have a tendency to overwrite, like, which is probably funny if you read Hidden Lies because it's a very spare, short, controlled narrative. But that's only because I have these amazing editors saying, Keelan, we don't need this. You know, we don't need 3000 words on the time this character did this thing. Like that's not actually part of the story. That's just you figuring out who the character is but the reader doesn't need to know it so they're like slashing out big chunks of work so they help me whittle it down to the bones of the actual story and they help me cut away all this success stuff that I don't need well between you all you did a great job did you find that difficult that were you precious about it it is difficult I mean, um, I, I, I pre precious might be the wrong word because that means that you're spoiled and I, I just mean like because it's your work you, you, I mean you're going to be precious about no, it I, I think precious is a really good word because you kind of have to give yourself a clip around the ears sometimes and say don't be precious about it be pragmatic about it you know your editors are almost certainly right that's like a top tip <laughs> as a writer like your editors are probably right you know and it's very hard to cut away like these big chunks of story that you've spent a lot of time on or 
these like side notes that you really enjoy writing. But if your editor says it's not part of the story, it's probably not part of the story. The thing that I do now that I've learned to do through this process of having Hidden Lies published and going through this big editorial process is when I get my editorial notes, I read them. I, it's a horrible feeling reading them because you don't want to cut away half your work and you know, you don't want to, you don't want to do all this editing. You don't, you think, you know, you've worked so hard on this. You think it's great. And then they tell you that like, they cut apart every single sentence and they tell you to cut out 40% and it's not a nice feeling. So like, I will read the notes, I'll put them aside and then I will like do something else for 48 hours and just like let them settle. And then I'll come back to it and I'll be like, oh my God, my editors are right about everything. Everything. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you just go to bed for the day and watch Netflix. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's your way of dealing with everything. That would work too. Yeah. But I, I really think that like my top tip for anyone who's writing and is like new to the editorial process is don't respond to your editorial notes straight away. Like don't let yourself have a knee jerk reaction. Like your knee-jerk reaction is going to be resistance and you have to kind of let that pass through you and then get to the point where you can actually take on board what they're saying because precious might be a harsh word but it's not inaccurate we do tend to be precious about the things we create and it can really hold us back mm, and it's understandable um as you mentioned there top tips would so somebody listening to this maybe someone younger than you maybe someone older than you uh you know what tips would you give to somebody who's who's been working away um, maybe doing the work but not seeing the results or you know is there are there any there's probably no uh, just I suppose a few tips to a, a wannabe writer mm. um, I think my first tip is kind of relates back to a lot of what we were saying earlier which is you don't need to get published to prove yourself to anyone like if you're writing all the time and you're finishing your work and you're happy with it you're already a writer you know, so be proud of yourself for that and focus on that first. Um, I think that just don't let yourself think that being published is a be all and end all. Like if you really want to be published and that's really important to you, that's great. And you can make that a goal and go for it. But just don't let yourself think that, don't let your self-worth become linked to whether or not you get published is a big tip. Um, I would also say read a lot and write a lot which might sound like an obvious one but it can be surprisingly hard um and finish things don't just start them finish things like learn the art of finishing pieces and if you're finding it hard to do really long pieces work on some shorter pieces so that you'll get that buzz of having actually gotten to the end of something and my final tip is move writing or whatever creative project move it to the top of your to-do list because if you say to yourself oh I'm only going to do this when everything else is done you're never going to do it because there's no point in your life when your whole to-do list is perfectly done so you have to put writing at the top of your to-do list you know you can't say I'm going to start writing my book when the house is perfect you have to leave the dishes undone and just get to work on the story that you want to write Excellent. Excellent advice, I have to say. Um, and you mentioned the when you described the character 
moving or you know off screen on screen is this something is are scripts a thing that you are movies a thing that you're interested in actually no it's just like a language thing that yeah. i have in my head <laughs> i wasn't sure yeah i mean no, it, ma- it, it, it makes perfect sense you know mm-hmm. um i've never tried script writing of any kind um not yet. i just not yet and I, like i love film absolutely love film but uh i just have like one thing that i'm good at <laughs> pretty much i don't know i, spent I don't know like, if there's something about the script writer in the, in that book um but uh so what so 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 you're writing i presume you're, you're, you're i mean this is somebody once said to me uh and it was an artist and he was talking about finishing a painting and he said he enjoyed the process of of making the painting. And when the painting is finished, it's it's everybody else's then. Yeah. You know, he his enjoyment of it and his uh, love of is is he loves the process. He loves the you know mm-hmm. deciding what to do, what paint to use, the painting of it, the whatever, and the putting it together. That's you know his his months working on it. And once it's done, it belongs to other people. Is that is that where you're at now? Mm-hmm. I think that that's that's so wise and that's definitely what I'm always striving towards is being focused on the process and definitely thinking like at the moment Hidden Lies is getting some really lovely reviews which again is amazing and I'm so grateful and happy like it's not that I'm not enjoying those things I'm just I'm just not making them my everything um at the moment yeah I'm working on a book which I hope will become the follow-up to Hidden Lies it's a very rough manuscript at the moment. So I'm working very hard at taking all of my own advice and enjoying the process and leaving the dishes undone and just getting it finished and putting in the hours and all those things we've been talking about. And it's taking shape. And yeah, it really is a pleasure. I really do just enjoy writing. I enjoy going into that space where I'm with the characters and there are these made up things happening. And I'm a very visual writer. Um, I think it does come across quite a bit in Hidden Lies. Like it's a very visual novel and um, the setting is very strong. Like the sense of place is very strong. So there's a real pleasure in that, especially this year when I have been so limited and where I can physically go. There's a real pleasure in going to these places with my characters and being really deep in the story with them. You know, like on the coast of Connemara or wherever my characters happen to go, there's such a joy in going with them to those places and trying to figure out the strands of the stories. So yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. I really do. And you get to travel. You get to travel inside your five kilometers in your own head. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I think that's one of the big joys of reading as well. Um, being able to leave my flat and being able to leave Dublin and go wherever the book is set is such a lovely experience and for me it feels a lot more real when I do that when I'm reading as opposed to when I watch telly for example so like I love watching tv I absolutely love film but I don't find it as immersive as I find reading I don't I don't actually leave my own head and go to the place when I'm watching tv like the way I explain this to people is like if I'm watching tv and someone knocks on the door I'll be like hey what's up like but if I'm reading and someone knocks on the door, I'll jump out of my skin because I feel like I wasn't even in the room. Like I'll get genuine shock. And that feeling of being transported to another time and place has been really invaluable for me this year. Wow. Great. Well, look, at it was really nice talking to you. Uh, I, personally, I've taken a lot from it. 
um, and uh, you really do have your head screwed on. And best of luck with the next book and the success of this book. It will be a success. I really loved reading it and uh, delighted to, you know, just talk to you about it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure for me to be able to talk to you about a book and something you worked so hard on. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. There you go. The book is called Hidden Lies. It is by Rachel Ryan Piatka's books. It's out now. If you are in North America, it's called The Woman Outside My Door. So go and buy it, North American listeners. And uh, Irish listeners, Hidden Lies is the name of the book. You can get it online. Uh, all the bookshops are closed. Are they? Actually, no, I don't think they are. You can go to Easton's, can't you? Yes, yeah, so I go into Easton's or if you want to stay at home. Uh, it's not an essential journey, actually, to go and buy a book, is it? But if you're in there getting stuff, like I have to go in and get envelopes, colouring pencils, that kind of stuff, which is essential for work, you can always pick up a book or buy it online. Hidden Lies is the name of the book. I think I've mentioned that once or twice. And I really, really enjoyed talking to Rachel. I think she's got a real sound head on her shoulders and really knows, seems to really know how to go about doing what she wants to do um, in a very diligent manner uh, hard working knows that she has to put in the hard work and that's it's it's interesting to speak to somebody relatively young i suppose i think but maybe that's just me because i wasn't certainly wasn't i'm only starting to realize you know if you want to get stuff done you've got to put in the hours um i'm learning later in life but uh yeah well done to Rachel. i actually learned a lot from talking to her i took a lot away um and i'm currently trying to write stuff myself so I was trying to pick up titbits of information. And, you know, you're trying to pick up, like, titbits of information. Like, you know, you're hoping somebody will tell you a shortcut. But anybody I've spoken to who has written a book or two, um, it just seems to be hard work. So that's there doesn't seem to be any way around it. Unless I just become, like, famous for another reason and get someone to just write my book or ghostwriters or just write it for me and then put my name on it you know one of those people anyway thanks Rachel uh, best look at the book and um, yeah that's it that is it for episode 57 of the Keith Walsh podcast I'll be putting 58 up and then in a week I'll have done 60 episodes that's crazy isn't it that's mad seems like only Halfway through the last lockdown, I started this. When did I start it? I don't know. 60 episodes. Of. I suppose I started it, if I'm doing three episodes a week, then I should be able to work that out, shouldn't I? Mm. Three episodes a week is about 12 a month. So I'm doing it about five months. Did that work? I did some sums, and I think they worked out. I'll be doing it, only doing it five months. That's crazy. I'm so impatient as well. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can email the show, as always, the podcast, the show. It's keithwalshpod at gmail.com. Um, episode 58, as I said, will be going up now, soon. I don't know why I'm looking at my watch. It doesn't matter. You could be li- listening to this, you know, in 2026. Makes no difference when I put it up. But I will be putting it up tonight if you're waiting. Uh, it'll be going up soon. And uh, it's a chat with my friend Mike. We put up one interview and one chat with my friend Mike that's how we do it that's how we roll anyway uh, that's enough out of me if you want to uh, share the podcast tell your friends you can always 
share the link on your social media. That would be very kind of you. There is a little link that you can click on if you want to contribute some cash to the podcast. Just a one-off payment, maybe 60 grand, 120 grand, and then you wouldn't have to come back again next year. Do you know what I mean? Whatever you feel like you can afford, and it all goes towards the um, the upkeep of the podcast. Uh, new mics for me and Mike. And, uh, yeah, give us a five-star rating and a review. As I said, tell your friends. Really hope you enjoyed. I'm a bit tired, and I'm taking a long time to sign off here. Could have said goodbye about three minutes ago. But uh, take care, mind how you go. And I love you all in a, in a podcasty way. Don't forget to watch the uh, the the morning show. My God. Whew. Anyway, goodbye. I gotta go. See you. Bye, bye, bye. I have another podcast to put up. I can't. I have to go. I up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 